It's award season independently baseball. So join us as we break down all the awards and all the playoff matchups and anything independently baseball over the past week here on the Indie Ball Report podcast. We're back again, episode 27, another solo show, but that's fine. I enjoy doing them like that sometimes. Whether you're coming in for the first time or coming in for the 27th, uh, welcome back to the show. Today we have a full, full show for you. I'm going to do like normal with these solo shows, try and keep them around 30 minutes, because I feel like once we break over that number, then it just starts to be me kind of incoherently babbling, and we don't want that now, do we? Uh, we got, uh, like I said, we got a full slate. So we're going to kind of open up with the Atlantic League, go to the breaking news from yesterday, which is why we're recording, or I'm recording here on an early Saturday morning and doing all of this jazz today, which is always fun. And then we'll go from there all the way through to the Can-Am League and then, you know, the standard bit. Uh, award season is upon us too. Uh, so before I actually get into the nitty gritty on a lot of this stuff, and start talking Atlantic League and Can-Am League. I'm just going to congratulate Chase Cunningham and, I believe, Ryan Long from the Frontier Association for winning Pitcher of the Year and MVP, uh, respectively, for the Frontier League. Congratulations to both those guys. And that big news of the day for the Atlantic League that we're going to be talking about right now is uh, Wally Backman, which, as you probably know, if you follow Independent League Baseball, which is kind of why I assume you're listening, that's kind of the shtick on this show, uh, he was arrested, and we do have the charges that he was uh, brought up on. Uh, it was a fourth-degree criminal mischief and a second-degree harassment charge. That is from the Riverhead Re- News Review. We will link that in the uh, show notes. On that particular source, it says he's due back in court on September 17th. However, I have on other ones, uh, I'm just going to use the WFAN, the fan, has him being back in court on September 22nd, but I know Newsday also reported that at 22nd. Well, by and large here, what is agreed upon here, being alleged to have done, was uh, try to grab the cell phone out of his girlfriend's hand so she couldn't call 911. I'm not really sure what happened, so I don't really want to speculate on it, and I don't want to talk too much on the issue, as it's not really pertaining to the field of play. However, it is an important issue to discuss, and I want to say it's kind of surprising to see it happen, but by and large, it really isn't. Uh, it's Wally Backman. Uh, Wally blew his shot in affiliated baseball. He's always been a hothead. He's always, uh, well, just straight out, not thought things through before he did it. Now, that's what blew his shot in affiliated ball a while back. Going back to as far as 04, he was with the Diamondbacks, and then that got shot down. Then he was, you know, with other various minor leagues, but still affiliated. That got knocked out because he has a terrible temper. And then he went to the independent leagues, and now he's looking like he's about to shoot himself in the foot there. It's like he cannot help but self-sabotage himself. Just don't do something stupid. What does he do? Something stupid. It puts the team in an awkward position. It puts the league in an awkward position. Obviously, I can't really comment whether or not it's true or not because we don't really know any sort of fact. Right now, about 28 hours after this incident was first reported, 
So it's not really like we have a lot of time to pour over everything, but it's still, it's not, and from what it sounds like, it's not good. And I mean, when you look at the person that's involved, you'd go, yeah, no, I could see Wally doing that. He has a, tem- he has a temper and he has a history. When you put those two things together, it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, uh, he, Wally's denied all the charges and whatnot. Uh, the league's denying comment on it, or at least Rick White is not commenting on it. Uh, and both, uh, Backman and the Ducks have said the statement we've, the Ducks have issued is our statement going forward until something changes. That statement we will, uh, link in the, uh, in the show notes. However, the genesis from, or the basis of it is they're aware of the allegations that involve him. They've spoken to him. He denies everything and he will continue as manager until further notice. They will comment further as the matter proceeds legally. Like I said, it puts the league and it puts the team and it puts everybody involved in this in one way or another in a very awkward position uh, because he's just a hothead. Because he can't control his temper. And it's it's one thing when you can't control your temper and you just wind up throwing something into a wall. It's not great. It's not ideal. But, you know, it's it's not a problem. As Urchin say, it's, uh, it's not as much of a problem. It's one thing if, you know, you get frustrated, you get screaming mad for 15 minutes, and then you're back to normal, and everything's fine, and nobody's hurt from it. That's one thing. But when you start taking it out on the people around you, now it's a major problem, and it's something that's going to have to be looked into. And what I don't think Backman's going to like out of this is, while the Ducks saying, he's our manager for now, it's because they don't have anything conclusive, so you can't just be quick to grab your gun and get rid of them. Especially at the time of the year. I mean, this is just not an, uh, it's a distraction first off. At a time of the year that you really cannot afford any sort of a distraction. You cannot be worrying about what's happening off the field with your manager when you have to get ready for the playoffs to start in less than a month. And it's, you know, it just puts the team in a very awkward position. And I do kind of want to know how, uh, the markets that you're certainly talking to are going to look at this. Because it's a poor reflection on the league if you employ someone that's being arrested and then, you know, 24 hours they're turning around and managing a baseball game. That's something that I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how this affects it. Because I'm sure after the news got out, there's some members on the Gastona City Council, you know, the ones that you are still talking with to negotiate a deal. And I'm sure they called up uh, Mr. Bolton and said, hey, Frank, uh, why was your manager arrested? You know, this isn't a great look on the league for especially a league that, you know, marks itself as family, affordable, friendly entertainment. And you have uh, a guy getting arrested on criminal mischief. Now, it's once again, I'm sure that's not a thing that's going to make the deal completely fall through. But it does present questions that you really don't want to have to answer because it should kind of be it shouldn't be a problem here. And that's why I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards. I don't think Backman's going to like the result here, especially if his team doesn't really win a lot. If, let's say, for example, and I'm not going to say if you win a championship, it's going to make this go away because it's not, this is not uh, professional, it is professional sports, but it's not major league sports where you could get away with that. It's independently baseball. It's not on that same tier. However, what I will say is, let's say the Ducks get knocked down the first round. All of a sudden, there's really nothing that's keeping... Wally Backman there. He's not an especially great manager. He's a hothead with a history. He has this on him now. 
and it's not a terribly great look for the league. So what my main point here would be is what's keeping you from getting rid of him and then bringing in like a Calter Pietro from Kansas City, who that situation seems very tenuous at best, and I don't really see them having much of a future there, as I still don't have comment back from ownership. I'll be sending them an email out uh, on Tuesday there going, I gave you over a week now. Uh, can I get some deets on what's happening here? There really hasn't been a further comment on that issue, so I've spent more time on this already than I wanted to, but I think it's just kind of important to realize that this is a, it's not a great thing that he's being charged of. It's certainly an issue, and uh, everything going forward is going to have to be very delicate, and hopefully everything pans out in the best interest of the general public and the league and everything in general, and hopefully Wally gets his temper under control, but at 59, I don't see that happening anytime soon. So let's kind of now shift gears and go into the actual play of the Atlantic League, and despite uh, all the sh off the field excitement, uh, Long Island did have to play a game last night, and they fell down early. It was a bit of a hole they had to dig themselves out of, as they fell into a 3-0 hole early on, but they managed to fight back and win that one, 7-5. Uh, so a very big win there, and it definitely hurt Somerset's chances. We're going to kind of break down. Oh, pardon me. Uh, we're going to kind of break down the Liberty side of things in the Atlantic League now, and just kind of get a gauge for where they're going to be going playoff-wise in not-so-distant future. Let's kind of take a look at things here. Uh, I said last night that after that loss, Somerset's done. I stand by that. I think Somerset's kind of uh, dead in the water. I don't see them really rebound from this. Because we want to look at just about any measurable uh, metric. Losing to Long Island hurts more than I think losing to a York or a Southern Maryland, which they managed to do. They dropped the pair to Southern Maryland, and they dropped one to uh, to Lancaster in the series where they really needed to take five. They did not take five. Losing two is like the most they could do, and they lost three. point remains here, if you want to look at second-half standings, their chances of winning this division are right out the window. They're seven and a half back with uh, New Britain and High Point right in front of them, and they're clawing. Winning the divisions right out the window, so you gotta look to the wild cards. And if you wanna look to the wild card, uh, right now, I got news for you. High Point's taking that wild card from you. And it's not looking good here. And on the flip side of it, you go, oh, well, if York wins out there, then only, there's only one wild card. So if Sugarland manages to take this, steal that division, if York goes on the slide, that will open up two wild card spots should Long Island and High Point win. Or really, as long as York doesn't win that division, we could be good. That's still a lot of ground to make up. I mean, let's look at the wild card here. Keep in mind here, they have to pass High Point. The High Point's going to be the obstacle in the way. It's either High Point or York that they're going to have to pass. And right now, York has them by, let's see, two games, two full games, and High Point has them by... High Point got them by four and a half. So, I'm sorry, but I don't see them making up uh, four and a half games, essentially, anytime soon. It's just something that I don't see that team being capable of doing, as they're too inconsistent. I want to say, oh yeah, no, they'll be fine, oh yeah, it'll, it'll work itself out, but I really just don't see it. I think they finally hit the end of the line. And seeing as uh, Kubiak and Antonini aren't back yet, if they are coming back, that's a big if, pitching staff's going to have to make do. Now, that's been alright, although as we saw last night, they're prone to having blow-ups. 
and I'm not really sold on Holmberg's ability to go deep into a game. They're a very iffy team, and even if they do get in, I don't really see them going far. Uh, Long Island, on the other hand, they also don't really look that strong, or certainly not as strong as they were in the first half, but they do, they already have their spot in there, and they do show that they can fight back, and I like them a lot better to, uh, to make some damage playoffs here. But I think the real look at, their real look and see spot is High Point and New Britain here. Uh, New Britain's kind of shot themselves in the foot by losing the two games last night to Lancaster, which it seems like the Barnstorm were sole goal now is just to kind of ruin other seasons, which they're doing very effectively, might I add. Being back five games now, it's, that's too much to make up, and they're out of the wild card. New Britain is, they seem like they're pretty done. Exciting. If they would have split and it would have only been four back, I would have said maybe, but even still, I think they're kind of done. I think they're dead in the water there. High point being a game and a half back makes it interesting. They have, I think, in my, at least in my mind, they've locked up that wild card spot. Obviously, things can still happen. That much is for certain. It's baseball. Anyone can go on a hot streak. Anyone can go on a cold streak. But I just don't see this team really slowing down. I think I'm going to, my third hot take of the year is going to be right in that High Point is going to manage to get into the postseason here. Now, how much damage they're going to do, I don't really know. That's going to be kind of a wait and see there. But they certainly have the batting. Their bullpen is very good. Van Meter can definitely hold down the fort starting. They have a couple of other guys that can really do a solid job there. And once the Can-Am League's done, I wouldn't be terribly surprised to see Amendola come back, especially if he's doing really good. There's definitely some players there, like we saw already from the Can-Am League, that when their season's done, they kind of move over. Scott Richmond being a guy that went to Long Island. Now, granted, he was to complete a trade, but same principle will happen. You're going to see him. For the Canham League, I think the latest they can go is like the 16th, right before the playoffs for the Atlantic League. So I wouldn't be terribly surprised to see some Black Aces type thing moving in there. So it, it's going to be an interesting race down the finish line here. I feel like I'm kind of rambling right now, but the general sense is I feel like High Point and Long Island have this. Really the only question is, will there be a wild card spot open? Uh, High Point kind of got this already on lockdown. Well, just outright, they, they're going to have a wild card spot. And they're going to either win a division, which will then kill off that wild card. If we flip to the to the Freedom Division now, when you look at those standings, uh, Southern Maryland seems like they're out of it, but they may have a little bit more life than, say, the other team that's five games out in New Britain. If for no other reason, I don't want to say it's a weaker division, because the Liberty Division certainly been weaker in the second half, but just stand a little bit more of a shot if uh, York slows down, but seeing as they're the only team to not have 20 or more losses in the second half, I don't see slowing down being in their vocabulary. Uh, they're kind of running away with things as Sugar Lines even three back. So on that side of things, uh, Lancaster's straight up out of it. Southern Maryland's about to be out of it. They're, you know, lose any sort of a game. They're out of it. Well, we know York's going to win this division now. So with a 600 winning percentage, it's hard to say. Which, after looking at the first quarter of the season, if you would have told me, yeah, York's going to come out of nowhere, just mash the whole second half, really the whole, really from middle of June on. <laughs> I always said, you're crazy. That's not going to happen. It, but yet here we are. You know, they're about 30 and 20, essentially. 600 winning percentage and no real signs of slowing down. Being the hot hand into the playoffs, 
they could certainly make a, a big run, I think. I think they definitely match up well against Sugarland. I think they match up fine against Long Island. But their Achilles heel has been playing in high point, so we'll have to wait and see if they can really solidify and hold down that playoff positioning going forward there. I'll talk a little bit more about awards and stuff for them in the coming weeks. I want to kind of give it another week or two to really take a look at everything before I say, yeah, I want, I think these guys are going to win MVP. These guys are going to be in the discussion for pitcher of the year. But as it stands right now, if I was kind of hard pressed, because I know I teased awards here and that was more for the Can-Am League here, but having teased that if I had to say uh, the guy I would be kind of pushing for here, for uh, league MVP, it's going to be Isaiah Tejada for me, in my eyes at least. Uh, he's top five in RBIs. He's top five in home runs. He's top five in average. I, he just seems like the most overall player. I mean, hell, he's leading the league in average, actually. He's batting 354. And he's played the whole year. I mean, 354, 20 home runs, and uh, 77 runs batted in. That's a pretty good line. Now, I, I grant you, uh, RBIs aren't the best stat in the world. Uh, runs created are more of a better stat for that, seeing as I don't have the advanced numbers in front of me. Just off the traditional numbers, it seems like he has to be the guy that wins it. Pelvin Nash is one of those guys where you're like, well, what about him? His batting average isn't as good, and he hits a lot of home runs, Grant. you 35, which is a record, 87 ribbies, which is very impressive. However, I don't really believe that he is the MVP as, as much as his teammate in Tejada is. So I'd look for Nash and Tejada being the top two guys. As for pitcher of the year, there's really three big names that kind of jump out at me. Uh, Daryl Thompson is a guy which I think should get looked at. He's going to finish with over 150 strikeouts, which is very impressive, and 14 wins. Granted, again, wins are not a very good stat, especially when judging pitchers. It's more judges your team, but when you look at Southern Maryland and you look that he managed to get 14 wins in those starts, it's very impressive, and I think that deserves consideration. Uh, ERA from not top five, but still it's not terrible, especially given what he had to work with. However, Mitch Atkins, I think, is more of a candidate. 10 wins, 112 strikeouts, and he has a 2.8 ERA, so very strong ERA there. However, my guy, it has to be Joe Van Meter. He's been a very low-key kind of guy. And when it comes to judging pitchers, the stat I look at the most is ERA. Because that's one of those stats that you, by and large, can really control and gives you a general overview of the situation when it comes to pitchers. And he has a 257 at this present moment. That's extremely good, especially in a league that has a lot of offense. He just really hasn't had a blow-up game. Sure, the occasional four or five run games that aren't great, but he's never had one where he really let up everything run free. You know, like a seven or eight run blow-up. More often than not, you're going to see the one, maybe two run games, and he's going to keep you in it. I mean, once again, the wins, I kind of ignore them. I mean, there's a reason why if you look at the wins, you're going to see uh, certain players that aren't up there for anything else. But it's really that ERA number. So I would really look for Joe Van Meter to be pitcher of the year there. I think that's enough of the Atlantic League now, because I really do kind of want to move on to the Can-Am League here with about the last 12 minutes or so of the show. All right, so the Can-Am League season is just about done. You'll probably, more often than not, if you're listening on Monday, the season will be on its final day on that particular day. So, 
let's kind of break her down a little bit here. Uh, awards that we know so far. And I say award and not awards because we do not know the pitcher at the moment. Or at least at the time of recording, we don't know who's pitcher of the year. However, I have a, a very good hunch that that is going to wind up going to Frank Duncan, which is terrific because I've been beating his drum as he has just been just pure dominant. That's really the only way to put it. Sure, he's had one or two bad starts, but the Can-Am League especially is an offensive-driven league. And so when you have a guys that are just raking on you every night in less than stellar defense from time to time, you know, you're kind of kind of be pushed against the wall here. I mean, Duncan's second and wins with 10, only his teammate Jeff Thompson has more. Third in uh, strikeouts with 111, uh, Garcia and Amont from Ottawa both have more. And then for his ERA, he has a 305. That's not bad at all. It's certainly strong. I really feel like the only guy that really has a chance at getting him, or at least in my mind, would be uh, Philippe Amont. 145 strikeouts, dear lord. That's a good amount in such a short amount of games. Uh, and then Amand also has a 2.65, which is extremely good. So I could see it really being a two-horse race between the two of them. Uh, Thompson may get a couple of uh, talked about. It really has to be a two-horse race between the two of them. I don't understand how it could be anyone else. Those guys have been dominant. Now, granted, Duncan's had the benefit of being on a the first ever wire-to-wire champion, which we'll talk about the Myers in a minute. But Amon's been on Ottawa, who got off to a decent start, and then right around the All-Star break, it just went downhill. Just a hard slide. And now they're going to finish second to last, which is an improvement from last year, so you got to give him that. And he's had less to work with, and he's done, I think, more with it. So I suppose I'm kind of pulling for Amon, but I am a big Duncan guy, so really, either one wins it. I'm going to be really happy with it, but uh, those are really the two guys on that front. However, we do want to congratulate Alfredo Marte for winning Player of the Year in the Can-Am League. Definitely deserved it. Led the league in home runs and RBIs, 16 and 87, respectively. Uh, as far as batting average goes, I don't know exactly for certain what his average is, although I will look it up. Up 313. 313, 82 doubles. Didn't have a triple, though, interesting enough. Wiped 12 bags. He had walked 43 times. Only struck out 47, so a very solid year for him. It's just been all around solid for Alfredo today, and he actually is coming into tonight's game, tonight being the 31st, riding a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 game hitting streak. So even more impressive there. Let's see, did he, in the one game he did not get a hit, a walk. Okay, so actually he's riding a, uh, it appears a 10 game uh, on base streak, or 11 game on base streak. So very impressive for him. And very deserving. Uh, it's very hard for me to argue that. No, he doesn't deserve it. He's been clearly the best all-around player this year. And just congratulations to him. Um, there really is no one else in my mind that could have taken it. However, when we take a look at everything on a whole, with the Can-Am League, it's been an exciting little bit to the end of the year. Although for about the past uh, two weeks, we've kind of known who's going to be uh, in the playoffs, who's not going to be in the playoffs. Uh, now we know our four teams. It is the Miners who have clinched that number one seed. Prairie who has clinched the number two seed. And the Jackals who have clinched the three seed. And the four seed will go to the Rockland Boulders. Uh, the reason I say everything's locked in, the Jackals simply don't have enough games to make up the deficit with the second place uh, Egals. While if the Miners lose out and uh, the Egals win out, Miners still hold the tiebreaker, so they have clinched that. 
regular season championship second straight year and because of 90 sports on Twitter they looked it up uh, they are the first back-to-back 60 win regular season champions since the 2011 2012 Quebec Capitals so very impressive something that hasn't been done in nearly a decade it gets done in Sussex the reason we do know how the bottom of the standings is going to shake out there's a five game difference between New Jersey and Rockland with each only having three games left each so there's no way to really make that up uh, we kind of knew how it was going to shake out a couple days ago but now it's all but official so we have that being our playoff matchups. We'll dive in and break them down a little bit in just a second here. But first, I do want to just comment about how Ottawa is not going to be last place this year for seemingly the first time in a very, very long time. I don't know when the actual last time this was, and I'll kind of quickly try to look it up here. But for the first time in a long time, uh, the Quebec Capitals are the worst team in the Can-Am League. I'm going to leave the silence there just to let that sink in. They are the worst team in the Can-Am League. You don't very often get to say that they are the worst because they're just always so consistent. I mean, coming into this year, I said, yeah, I'll look for them to be in the uh, in the final because they're just that good. Every year they put out a quality product. Sure, they lost some pieces, but they'll be right back. You know how it goes. And no, they, they didn't. I mean, this is the first time since... This is the first time since 2014 that they didn't break 500, but even in 2014, they had a team behind them to insulate them from the bottom. The 2010, even back then, they were not dead last third. They were just outside of a playoff spot in the first half. Yeah, overall, no, they weren't because Sussex was there. Skyhawks, this is uh, their last year. And they never were, as far as I find. Uh, you can go back deeper into the standings here, but I'm not going to do that on air. The general consensus here is that this is just, it's kind of mystifying. Just like from day one to the, the day 100, they just, they didn't get off on the right foot. And sometimes that happens. You just have a false start. Then they lost some guys from Pan Am games. And even when they come back, they did not, uh, didn't perform. It's kind of a lackluster year for them. Nobody really did anything tremendous for them. It's very shocking to me to see that because you just really, don't ever see that. It's seldom seen. Enough talking about the teams that didn't really do so well. I want to spend a little bit of time here real quick just to kind of talk about the Miners. They did just a, such a tremendous job this year. From day one to the end of the time, they led the Can-Am League the whole way through. Very impressive feat for them. It, like I said, it hasn't been done since 2011-2012. That we saw back-to-back 60-win seasons from a team. This is the first time we've seen a wire-to-wire champion. It's just it's crazy to think that this happened. Especially from a team that before Bobby Jones came here a couple of years back was just a real bottom feeder team. was not a very good team. But uh, Fiorella, the uh, GM, and Bobby Jones, the manager, have done such a tremendous job of building up this organization. Obviously, uh, the Dorsos have helped tremendously being the owners and presence of the team, you know, dumping in the money that was necessary into the team to get them to this point, that now they are that kind of powerhouse team, in my in my eyes at least. They kind of are filling that power vacuum that no longer exists by, say, a Jackals team that used to be that kind of team that would go five times in a row to a Can-Am League final. They would always be the bridesmaid, they were the bride. The Myers have kind of said, no, we're going to go and we're going to win. 
Jones missed the playoffs his first year. Then he gets him to a semifinal. So he gets him in the first round, and then, you know, it doesn't go his way. Then immediately he goes, all right, now we're just going to win it all. And he goes out, and he has a little bit of trouble getting out of the first round last year, then just dismantles Quebec, losing only one game to them, and just really making it seem like, okay, this is a real team, especially with that comeback in the ninth. It was like, oh, okay, this is a really good team. And then they come out this year, kind of with the expectation of, yeah, they're going to win, but, you, you know, it's probably not going to be as good. They're probably not going to win the regular season. Quebec's probably going to take it because that's what they do. They'll probably put up like a 50-55 win season. It'll be very good for them. It's a very good uh, follow-up campaign to a 63 win season. And, you know, everyone can feel good about it. It's good progress. And then they'll go in and they'll make some noise in the postseason. They said, no, nah, that's not our style. We're just going to go win 60-plus games. Again, never give up first place and win the division. Like, the team building that went on here is tremendous. Now, granted, they didn't lose terribly many guys, but you're still plugging and playing in guys. And i got to give Justin credit for that. It's a tremendous job to go and build up a roster like he did and to pick up the pieces and put guys in here and not be afraid to make moves. Sure, he got a little bit lucky. He got Alamandova back after High Point released him, but luck is half this game. You need to know when to make those kinds of moves, and he knew when to do it. Releasing Khalil Sams after getting was a gutsy play. I personally wouldn't have done it. I would have said, let's see if he can't hit his way out of it. He managed to make the moves and get the guys. He pulled in a guy like Frank Duncan, which is a big gen, and has been the ace of the staff. Brought in a guy like Jeff Thompson. Been another solid addition. A guy like Burns. Another solid arm. A guy like Jose Jose. Best setup man around. Ryan Newell comes in. He's a great closer. You bring back other guys. Mikey Reynolds comes back into the fold. Medeiros is still there. So you got Sirianco still back. You brought back nearly your whole infield. It was just a tremendous job there. He brought, in, he brought back Zaharian, who's a solid guy off the bench. Like, all in all, he did a tremendous job building the team. And then Bobby Jones, the team he was given, he did a wonderful job of using the guys in the correct way. He proved why he has those 200 wins as a manager. He knows how to work it. And frankly, I don't see how you cannot give him manager of the year again. I think the only real competition would either be a Trevi Vaz manager or Brooks Carey from uh, New Jersey. It has to be Bobby Jones for manager of the year again. If he's not actually into a major league system at the conclusion of the season, I'm, I'm going to start to question things. He clearly shows he can coach guys. He can coach older guys, younger guys. He can coach a variety of different backgrounds of guys. He knows baseball. He's a great manager. And I would be shocked to see someone not go, let's give him a shot at the double-A level with some of our guys, which I kind of think he would take. It just, it would boggle my mind to not see him uh, actually coaching up a level next year. And even I imagine Justin's going to field some offers if they win another championship back-to-back years like that under not less than ideal conditions, let's call them, uh, being that everything's less than ideal in independent league baseball. And he does that. It's, well, that's all I'm going to say. It's that it was a, it, this is a tremendous accomplishment. And regardless of how the postseason goes, the season I think already has to be a, a huge success for Sussex, at least for on the field play. It's very hard to do that. It's very hard to go back to back. It's even hard to do that, not giving up the lead at all and that attack on the 60 win season with a team breathing down your neck, especially the last month and a half. Very impressive. So, truly congrats to them. 
So now let's kind of go and break down the postseason here real quick. Uh, we're going to do too much in depth to it, but being that the postseason starts in the middle of this week, kind of break her down a bit right now. I would like to do a playoff primer. I may write something about it during the week. Until next show, this is what we're going to get for the playoff primer. Uh, let's break down the Sussex and Rockland matchup first here. Uh, Sussex and Rockland are going to match up. Both of these series start on September 4th. This one will kick off in Rockland for the first two before shifting back to Skylands. So it's going to be very interesting. If you want to compare positional by positional, Miners are going to take it. Uh, only position where I don't like them as much as Rockland is probably catcher. The catcher position has been really kind of a black hole for Sussex this whole year. They really haven't been able to fill that hole. They've tried a bunch of different guys to kind of just patch it over, but it really has not worked out the way they've been hoping. And Adam Ehrlich, on the flip side of it, is extremely good at his job. So you give him the edge there, but everywhere else, I like Sussex better. I mean, first base, sure. Oberstein is a bit better defensively. Syriaco has his mishaps every once in a while. Uh, but offensively, they're at worst net neutral. At best, it's Syriaco taking him. A second base, it's been kind of a black hole for each side there. Shortstop, Reynolds compared. Reynolds can beat it out. Third base compared. Medeiros is probably going to beat you out. In the outfield, Brizuela, I like better than anyone in the Rockland outfield alone. But then you want to look at the rest of the lineup. It's just too solid of a team there. Uh, pitching staff-wise, starters definitely the edges to Sussex. Bullpen is where it starts to get kind of 50-50. Uh, Robbie Gordon and Ryan Newell, I think, are pretty even on the closer side. I do like Jose Jose better than any setup man that Rockland has over my big guy. And the guy I've been beating the drum for for a long time, Nick Kennedy, I think is the best reliever in the series because Nick Kennedy is horribly underrated. And here's why. Because the guy's a middle reliever. He's like the Tyler Clippert of the Can-Am League. He doesn't get the glorious times of going into a setup role or getting the, the nice and easy closer job. The guy has set a record for appearances in this league in a year. He's appeared in over 60 games. He's appeared in more games than some regular position players are appearing. He's putting a lot of mileage on that arm, and he goes out there and he puts up a damn good ERA. He had one bad start that jumped his ERA to over four, or one bad appearance where he didn't get an out, but that was largely due to, I think, some fielding miscues that should have been tagged as errors but weren't. But you take that one out, his ERA is about a 3.6 if I'm correct, which is amazing for a reliever, especially when you count for the fact he has over 60 innings pitched this year in 60 appearances. It's not like he's getting a day of rest in between these starts. There's days he's pitching two days in a row for multiple innings. It's just a tremendous job by Kennedy here. So I think he's the best reliever in the Can-Am League period, but I certainly think he's the best in this series. So bullpen-wise, it's at best even. I still like Sussex to take this one in four. I think uh, three and four is how this is going to go out. I see Rockland stealing either the game of the fourth or the fifth, but everything at Skylands going to uh, going to Sussex. Rockland's disadvantages. It's not far from Sussex. And minor fans, I gotta give them this much. They are a traveling bunch. It was Pavlik night the other night. We were at that game. We saw it on Instagram. You should follow us there at Indieville Report. And there was a lot of minor fans there. I was like, damn, you guys travel. But yeah, home field kind of taken away there. And they're certainly not going to win in Skyland. So 3-1 and one is how I look at it. 
Uh, now, as we shift now to uh, the Three Rivers New Jersey matchup, I will say I'm a bit biased here because I do want to see the Jackals go on there. Because if the Jackals go on, I get to see every playoff game. It doesn't matter because I can go to Rockland, I can go to to uh, Yogi Berra, or I can go over to Skylands. It's all only about an hour away. I, I'd like to see that. However, I think you compare the two teams batting-wise, while, yes, Stock and Harris and Gregor and Marte are all very good batters. They certainly they can get on base. They do a great job at it. I don't see them matching up as well against uh, Trevi Baugh. Simply because they have Brennan, they have Nathan, they have Gladu, they have Glado. They have a lot of talent on that team for, for batting. They're a very deep team, and it's going to be hard to kind of jump on them. Even a guy like LeVon Washington is a very good, or a very deceptive batter, where you don't think he's that great because he's not batting as well as you would think, but he gets on base a lot. It's a very difficult thing there, and if you match up pitching staffs, uh, while yes, Reyes and Castile are very good starters, I think Three Rivers can kind of match them there with a guy like Garrett Harris, who's better than anyone else here. Now, bullpen is maybe where they start to get an edge because they have New Jersey has Brammer, they have a Car- uh, Reese or Carlius, who is a very, very, very good reliever. So you have those two guys there as opposed to not really anyone of note in the uh, Egal bullpen. Now, granted, I don't look at their bullpen all too much, but by and large, there really isn't too much there. I would say if I had to, if I had to pick it, I do like the Agals to take it, but I do think it takes five. I think that one is going to wind up going the distance, just because there isn't anyone there that I look and go, this is overpowering them. I, I really think we're going to see a rematch of last year's semifinal. I look at the lineups, I look at the rosters, and I just see two fairly evenly matched teams. And I think what's going to come down to is whose pitching is going to fail. Because both of them aren't terribly strong, but, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting fight to the finish. We'll put it like that as we start to run a little bit long here. As I want to do, as we kind of wrap this up, I say Tvaybiva uh, uh, in five, Miners in four, and then for that final, we'll have to wait and see. I'm not going to give you a prediction on that yet. I'll give it to you next week after I see the first few games. So let's do the outro and let's get out of here because this ran a lot longer than I thought. Uh, I'd be cutting a lot. So, if you are new to the show or just like listening and not subscribing to the podcast, don't do that. Please subscribe to the podcast on either TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Podomatic. It helps the show grow. It shows that people are listening consistently and enjoy the show. So do that. Um, be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're very big on Twitter. You'll see us tweet out a lot of stuff there. That's at IndieBallPod on Twitter, all lowercase. Just look up IndieBallReport and you can follow us right there. Uh, we are on Instagram at IndieBallReport. That's just straight out. Uh, very easy. You follow us there. We also announce a lot of stuff on the story, plus pictures from any game we go to are up there as well. And that's about all we have to plug, except for the website, which is IndieBallReport.com, which is where you can find... You can find articles, probably where I'll put the playoff, definitely where I put the playoff breakdown if I write it this week. And you can find all the podcasts, all the show notes, because I know I mentioned those earlier in the show too. That's on the website, all neatly under the headings. So go there, find all that there. Uh, that's about all I have to plug, all I have to say. So until we speak next time, in roughly a week's time, don't forget, 
to play ball. <laughs>